Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, April 10th, 2020, which, no way around this, Drew, it's a big day in animation history. We've got Trolls World Tour, uh, which is supposed to release in theaters on the whole bunch of dates, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I... <laughs> well, first it was later this month because of the James Bond movie was supposed to be out today. Right. And now, and then they bumped it up, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to play theaters, but now there are no theaters, and so now it's streaming at your home for $19.99 for 48-hour rental period. Yeah, yeah, the, the now-on-demand world premiere at home. And look, I, you've seen this movie, I've seen this movie, it's fun, uh, you know? Yeah. But it's one of these things, if I were going to pick the movie to change, you know, Hollywood history, you know, that be the one that sort of plowed the road for a new distribution model, like, I don't know if it would be this one, but it's, it's you know, it's Hudson also... Hudson Hawk already came out, Jim, so you can't <laughs> choose that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of like... You know how the jazz singer these days is kind of problematic? It used to be, hey, you know, the first sound first, film. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, yeah, starring Al Smith, the king of blackface. Okay, moving on. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, okay, so the weird thing about the original Trolls, the first one was released back in 2016, and the sequel was announced in February of 2017. But, you know, look, if we're being cold-blooded here, all right, the original Trolls wasn't exactly a world beater. Uh, what? It cost $125 million to make, only sold $153 million worth of tickets domestically, 193 overseas. So what? That's worldwide box office of, of 346. And you've been covering this industry for quite a while. It, there's always been the story about Hollywood math, about you have to make at least three times your production costs before you even approach profit. Is that what you yeah. hear? Or? Yeah, I've heard that if you want to, if the movie can't doesn't make money until it's three times, mm-hmm. makes three times its its cost. So, right. okay. yeah. So that's the thing. If three times 125 million is 375 million, Trolls only made 346 million worldwide. So. In theory, it lost money. It fell out $29 million short of turning a profit. But then again, uh, January of 2017, Original Trolls becomes available on Digital HD. Two weeks later, we get the Blu-ray and DVD. And I did my due diligence, folks. I checked the numbers there. It sold $36 million worth of DVDs domestically, $34 million in Blu-rays. So that's 70 um and also jim there was a lot of merchandise out there well and it's so interesting you say that because that turns out to be what really is kind of driving the engine here and i only discovered this today i guess dreamworks began developing a trolls movie as far back as 2010 but then in April of 2013, they did this intriguing thing. They went from owning the film rights to Trolls to they bought the whole damn company. The interesting thing is it's the damn family of uh, Scandinavia. In fact, it's the damn family and the company is called Damn Things. But DreamWorks Animation bought the company outright. And they, in fact, they own worldwide. The only place they don't have the merchandise rights to the Trolls thing uh, is Scandinavia. So the weird thing from the company's point of view is that this was a way to be able to build a franchise. And Trolls have been around for almost 60 years at this point. 
and basically build a franchise from the ground up that had already this amazing merchandise component. So the interesting thing, again, is that, got to remember, the original Trolls comes out November 2016, but in April of that same year, NBC Universal buys DreamWorks Animation for $3.8 billion. And Chris Meliandri, you know, who's now in charge of both Illuminations Entertainment as well as DreamWorks Animation, announces, uh, you know, two days after Trolls goes out into theaters that, you know, they're rebooting Shrek, they're rebooting Puss in Boots because Comcast wants to take all of DreamWorks Animation's collection of characters and leverage them across, you know, Comcast's corporate holdings of theme parks and children's television program and merchandise holding. So just like six months later, there's this, they have this announcement in the fall of 2017 where it was like the Trolls equivalent of D-Day. I mean, you know, first they announced... (laughs) Earlier that year, you know, we got the announcement that, okay, we're getting the Trolls sequel. Then that fall, they announced that there's going to be a holiday special, the Trolls holiday that's going to air on November 24th of 2017. But but here's the thing, Drew. Four days later, the DVD goes on sale. And then 10 days after that, it starts streaming on Netflix and it's one of these things where inside of just 12 days from network debut to store shelves to streaming, no property has ever moved that fast before. So in a weird sort of way, to have Trolls World Tour sort of make history and, you know, be the first to do the on-demand home premiere, skipping the theatrical release the same time if you go back to 2017 between this network to store shelves to streaming inside of 12 days uh this franchise has always been plowing new ground so you know and then what's weird is like just six weeks after that we get the dreamworks trolls the beat goes on the uh original series for netflix which i i still don't get how they do this for for streaming services, but this, again, the show debuted in January of 2018. It's already had eight seasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that either. It's like She-Ra is about to end, and it's like six seasons, and mm-hmm. it feels like, wait, didn't this show come on like six weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, I, I just do not get this, but anyway, speaking of streaming, uh, we should talk about Playdate with Destiny. Yep which the Simpsons short that ran in front of Onward and now being shown on Disney Plus. Did I hear correctly there was supposed to be some additional stuff in the short for Disney Plus or did Well, did you see my my note about how it's part of a larger episode? Oh, yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. so the short will actually be featured mm-hmm. Additionally, in a episode called The Incredible Lightness of Being a Baby, mm-hmm. which airs on April 19th. So okay. uh, that's what is that? Yeah, that's two weeks. Okay. You will see it in context in a larger context then. So, um, yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, I was that I was answering a question from somebody on Twitter. And then like five minutes later, they announced that the short is going to be on Disney Plus, And I was like, oh, OK, well, there's that, too. So. Wow. What I love about what they've done is they kept the introductory bit, the Disney welcomes the Simpsons with the silhouette of Mickey, which becomes Homer, you know, right. noshing on two donuts. And 
even that I you know I, I love the attention to detail how when they do the Disney welcomes the symptoms it's on that same red fabric board that was the background mm-hmm. for Mickey Mouse shorts and Donald Duck shorts so it's you know somebody's paying attention but kind of interesting this is directed by David Silverman who also directed the last Maggie Simpson short, the 2012's The Longest Daycare. And David is a genius. We have to say that, too. He's He co-directed Monsters, Inc. with Pete Doctor. He's... Oh, good. No. I, you know, he's kind of been out of the mainstream for a little mm. while, but he's still always doing something. And the last time I saw him, actually, was when I went to the recording sessions for Zootopia. Mm-hmm. He was sitting in the back of the room with Jim Reardon and a bunch of other animation greats. Oh. Um, which was really cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. And this comes, by the way, from Animation Magazine, but it was supposedly James Brooks himself who supposedly pushed that, you know, this go out into theaters ahead of Onward. Uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that before. And evidently, David came up with the idea for the short just as it was revealed that Disney was going to acquire Fox. And so, again, if you haven't seen it, folks, seek it out. More to the point, if you haven't seen Onward. Just dropped on Disney Plus last week, and yeah, can you talk a little bit about how Disney's feeling about this, Drew? From everybody that I've heard, that the way that they did it with the VOD and then the Disney Plus, that everybody is happy. Mm. It's basically what what we had hypothesized earlier, where it's like it'll make money on VOD, and, I, and a lot of people have bought it. Mm. I think um, prior to it streaming on Disney Plus, so it made up the the kind of box office that. It maybe would have had it if it had stuck in theaters um, longer and, and maybe was not released in the beginning stages of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, that it gave Disney Plus a real shot in the arm with this brand new movie that's now available. I mean, it's not even coming out on Blu-ray. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I mean, it's coming out on Blu-ray in, in May. Mm-hmm. And they haven't even bothered to release a, a press release for it, basically. And now with everybody furloughed, mm-hmm. like 70% of publicity and, and marketing furloughed, um, you know, who's who's going to tell you that it's out? So I will do that. <laughs> it is coming out on May 19th. Okay. It will have all the special features that they were – I don't know if you saw last week with like Entertainment Weekly and a couple of other websites had, had uh, deleted scenes. Stuff that's actually in the book, by mm-hmm. the way, The Art of Onward, which I wrote, which you can pick up now. Um, and then it, none Very of that smooth. was on Disney. I, I, yes. Okay, keep going. <laughs> but but none of that was on Disney Plus. So it's like, well, where is it? It'll be on the Blu-ray May nineteenth. Pick it up. I'll probably buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but uh, you know, I think we need to talk about the the newest fan of Onward. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, please, <laughs> please, uh, mind you, what was it? Uh, he he posted this on Facebook. I guess it's what a fourteen minute long video. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Kevin Smith is very confessional. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. If you've seen his movies, you know, he's an open book. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, bad idea to wake and bake and watch Onward. And it was just him (laughs) sobbing for the entire video. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I love at one point he holds up, what is it, a box of Kleenex? (laughs) You're going to need a whole box of these. I mean, just sort of, oh, my God. But as part of this 14-minute-long video, he actually, Kevin talks at length about his own brother, his own older brother, who he feels formed his sense of humor. When his brother would laugh, Kevin would want to know why. And, you know, his brother would explain, and that's how he discovered comic books and, and the like. So the, the movie hit Kevin where he lived. So, right. Um, 
So again, Dan's and got- also he was very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that too. <laughs> so maybe watching it while high will amplify the effects of the movie. Uh, it's kind of a trippy. I mean, it's sort of a movie that looks like a painting on the side of a van or a like '70s album you, cover. <laughs> so I say, I say that's wrong. perfect, right? Oh, oh, oh! Before we forget, though, we I guess we should also mention that in Disney Plus related news that what. Disney released this week that they are now at 50 million subscribers, which pleased Wall Street no end. You know, the, for the first time in a while, the Disney stock went up. And isn't that halfway to the number they said they wanted to have in like five years? Or Oh, yeah. I think it's more than that. I think I think they wanted well, – I can't, I can't remember what the exact numbers were. But mm-hmm. I was reading something today that a lot of those numbers mm-hmm. were, are actually Hotstar um, users from India. Really? Um, yeah. So they've already had it. Disney bought that that subscription service. Mm-hmm. There was a great John Oliver segment about this a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it. Um, yeah. I mean, they said they had a goal of 60 million to 90 million global subs by end of fiscal 2024, which is like Octo- like middle of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they've already got 50. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. Wow. I mean, it's the only part of the company with the lights on. So, you know. <laughs> well, but at the same time. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> you know, think about everybody else. Think about, you know, for example, how would you like to be NBC Universal with, where are we supposed to be now in the push out of Peacock Live? Um, oh, God. Wasn't it supposed to go out to already folks who subscribe to Comcast and then be thrown open to subscribers? Or there was like a three-month um, introductory window? or. Well, it's also a free subscription initially, but it has it has commercials. Oh, so that's right. That's remember. Right. There, I think there's like two or three different tiers okay. that you can subscribe to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Peacock. I don't know where Peacock is. I saw today that that HBO Max, the the Friends reunion, is obviously not going to make the the launch of HBO Max. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't know. It, it's interesting. Okay. Well, uh, while we're talking about streaming services, we might as well talk about. What Disney Plus revealed is in the works today. I mean, you, you, you reached out as soon as you heard about this, and I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah. Uh, well, the news broke that Disney will turn 1973's much maligned Robin Hood animated film into a live action. I mean, and I'm using live action in quotes, mm-hmm. live action feature from blind spotting director Carlos Lopez Estrada. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was not reported that I talked to you about that I think is so interesting is that Carlos is developing an original film for Walt Disney Animation Studios right now. And the second I heard this, I reached out to some friends at Disney and said he's still doing it. Mm-hmm. This is just something else. So this is the first time one filmmaker is making a new movie for Walt Disney Animation Studios while remaking an old movie for Walt Disney Animation Studios in live action. And, and Which is kind of mind-blowing. I know. I, I, I agree. But you got to wonder, he got in the door with one and went, hey, get out while I'm here. Um, but, okay, so according to uh, – this is Variety that broke this, I want to say? Uh, Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter. Okay, so it's being developed with – and, again, this is the animals version. This is not the, the live-action version Disney did back in the 50s. So – but it's going to be in kind of the style of John Favreau's Jungle Book and Lion King, right? Only yeah, that's. In, I mean, I think that's the only way they can do it, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, given you know, I mean, the the thing of of the original. I mean, it's got that wonderful vocal performance 
by Peter Ustinov. So it's going to be fascinating yes. to see who they land to do Prince John. It's also interesting to see it, it kind of born from the ashes of uh, Chancelier oh, or whatever. Oh, oh, God, Chanticleer. Yeah. yeah. Chanticleer, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that rooster is Chanticleer, basically, right? Mm -hmm. The kind of minstrel No, rooster. you're not wrong. You're not wrong. In fact, kind of interesting that Ken Anderson did the character design with Mark Davis on Chanticleer. Right. And then he did all of the uh, character design, or at least the early character design of Robin Hood. So, whoa, that's a good get. I hadn't even thought of that before. Well, you know, I was saying to you, too, that if this is a Disney you know, if this ends up going to Disney Plus, which is what they're speculating right now, mm. it'll it, it'll probably be the most expensive Disney Plus movie yet. And it'll be a big event movie mm -hmm. that I think they thought Lady and the Tramp would be, but nobody really talked about because it was sort of boring. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. Well, I look, if I had to pick, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, there are things I like about Robin Hood. I, I would like to see something new. In fact, just... Uh, earlier this week, the folks over at Cartoon Brew shared a sizzle reel from 2014 for Galaxy's Gas and then told the story of this film, which really kind of broke my heart. I mean, you heard about this, right? Or... Oh, yeah. I thought that, that re sizzle was amazing. Yeah. I loved it. Well, all right. To give a little background, folks, I remember... Disney puts out Winnie the Pooh, July 2011, sends it out into theaters head-to-head -head with part two of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and it makes a buck 40. And, you know, Disney basically gets out of the hand-drawn animation business at, at that moment. And But the thing is, you have all of these huge talents that are still available, could still work on hand-drawn films. And so, what is it, producer Craig Peck, I want to say? Um, he puts together basically a dream team of animators. Uh, well, first of all, he, he gets Kirk Weiss, the director of, uh, well, Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. And then he ropes in uh, screenwriter Tab Murphy, a gentleman who wrote Hunchback as well as Disney's Tarzan. And then from there, I mean, it's it's folks like Nick Ranieri and and Ruben Aquino and and Bruce Smith who who just did Hair Love, and I, and Ruben is still is back at Disney now, I believe, right? Yeah, because he was on Moana, I think. Oh right? my God, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um. So they put together this project, which is basically about a teenage boy who's. In fact, it's kind of weird because we're you know, in the middle of this massive celebration of the Goofy movie, which is, of course, about Goofy's issues with his now teenage son, Max. And in a lot of ways, this is a dad and teenage son story, only it's a half Anglo, half Navajo kid called Devo, who ends up with his dad out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert that's this old 50s-style gas station, and hates his dad for making him live out here in the middle of nowhere, and he eventually ropes him into working at the gas station. And it's only then, I guess, as when Act 2 goes to, or Act 1 goes to Act 2, that it's revealed that this just isn't just any gas station. It's where the, the interstellar police force that protects Earth from, from hostile aliens comes in to fuel their rockets and you know, this kid suddenly gets his eye open to this whole new world. And as you were saying, the scissor reel is just absolutely amazing. 
And I think you and I were speculating off air about it's kind of interesting at this time, you know, especially after the Cicero was put together in 2014, they supposedly had a production company lined up and I guess the financing fell through. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting that it surfaces now. Um, yeah. Especially given what's going on with folks at Netflix that were doing things like Klaus and the Willoughby's. But yeah, it, it looks great. And it would be lovely for somebody to step forward with a checkbook. <laughs> kind of hoping that happens. Yeah, I mean, sci-fi related animated properties don't they don't have a great track record, mm-hmm. Jim. Let's just say that. Yeah. Between Treasure Planet, mm-hmm. Titan AE, Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So it would be nice to see somebody break that curse. It would. It would. But but at the same time, think about it, you know, in this age of a potentially an entirely new business model, you know, the the notion of you have that piece of straight pipe rather than, okay, we got to do theatrical, and then we have to do pay-per-view, and then we have to do you know, something like this where you can just stream it and go straight to your audience. <sighs> I don't know. At the same time, we have to sort of acknowledge why uh, Trolls World Tour ended up video on demand and all that, and that's, of course, COVID-19. And that's why the movie you said was not going to be released just got a new release date. Bob's Burgers, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it still has not been released, Jim. So I am, I, I am I, I, right, I'm, at least. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that, 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 that for those of us who love the kids and love the show, you know, it, it's now supposedly been pushed out to April 9th, 2021, uh, nine months. So th- there's that, you know, I, I, yes. I put it on my schedule and... I'm not taking bets that it actually makes it there, but... Um, <laughs> I was going to say, that's a long time to, you know, sneakily put it on Hulu or, or Disney+. Plus. Let's just think. remember that. Okay. All right. And let's see. Continuing the news roundup here. You pointed out Skydance Media just acquired Ilian Studio. Is that right? Yes. It's a Spanish studio. And... I thought what was interesting was that in in the announcement mm-hmm. of this uh, acquisition was some very interesting things buried about the upcoming movies mm-hmm. that are in the works, which we, we knew about Luck. Yep, yep. Which is the one that – who left that one? Brenda Chapman or someone was working on that yeah. and they left? And I want to say Peggy Holmes is now uh, – Yes, okay. Peggy Holmes is now doing it. Mm-hmm. Um then there's one called Spellbound, which is directed by Vicki Jensen, who did Shrek and Shark Tale, mm-hmm. uh, and l- written by Linda Wooverton, who did Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King, and is a, quote, musical fantasy set in a world where ma- of magic where a young girl sets out to break the spell that has split her kingdom in two. So that's that sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. But I was most intrigued by the fact that they have a Nathan Greno project on the books mm-hmm. um, called Puku. And that's basically all we know about it. It's produced by Jennifer McGee Cook, who produced Prince and the Frog. But as we all remember, mm-hmm. Nathan was the one directing uh, Gigantic yeah. at Disney, uh, which is one of the more spectacular failures or canceled movies, I should say, uh, in recent memory. You know, I was just cleaning off my desk earlier this week, and I found the button they gave out at the D23 Expo of the, the Beanstalk. Oh, yeah. I have a T-shirt with that beanstalk on it. Really? I just... Yeah. I, yeah. I remember when Meg LeFave was going to co-direct it, mm-hmm. too. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, the, it's just one of these things when you look at it on paper. You've got Nathan Grano, half the team that did Tangled. You've got the Lopez's coming off mm-hmm. of Frozen and, you know, and Avenue Q and the like. And, you know, and I, I have to say, the, I loved the Storm Giants conceit. And they did show that one number at the expo of the little girl basically playing with Jack. But again, like he's a, a Ken doll. Um, right. It wasn't the greatest song. Let's be honest here. I mean, it was Little a, Man, I think. Yeah, there we go. Right. You know, it just a, it, yeah. it was a comic number. But I keep hoping that at some point, somewhere along the line, because this stuff does leak out. Uh, you know, think about how much we've seen of, you know, Angel and her No Good Sister, My People's, you know, A Few Good Ghosts over the years. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it just seems like on paper that one should have worked. And. What did they do? They did a hundred and twenty or one hundred and fifty million dollar write down on it. Yeah, they wrote the whole thing off. And uh, so. oh yeah, it was deep in development when I was at Disney. And you know, you know my uh, my uncanny ability for getting lost coming back from the bathroom. So I, I've seen a lot of really cool stuff from it that I I wish would come out <sighs> well, in some legal way. Yes, yes, yes. Th- th- there we go. But, but at the same time, to double back to Skydance, I mean, when you think about, you know, Vicki Jensen, Peggy Holmes, Nathan Grano, Linda Wolverton, and a certain Mr. Lassiter, that's quite the bench. Do we have anything approaching release dates yet? You know, I mean, I know Lucky. No, that's the thing is these things are never, like, when are they coming out? Mm. It's crazy. Mm. Put up or shut up is what I say, Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, if you could put up with a little bit more show, folks, after we get back from this break, Drew's going to share some amazing stories about the Goofy movie. And we're back. Oh, oh, uh, before we get started here, I guess we, again, this literally just broke. In fact, you were just pointing this out about DNEG in L.A. They just shut down their effects unit there, right? Yeah, 20 people out of work. They just finished work on Picard. Yeah. Which I don't know. If, did you watch Picard, Jim? It, I caught, I'm, I, I'm very bad at this. You know, I cheated. I basically watched the last episode. So, you know, I, I watched the first two episodes. And the terrible thing is uh, CBS All Access has made like all of their Star Trek series, you know, Discovery and the like, available for free for viewing this month. But at the same time, it's just sort of like, okay, 30 hours of television. Woohoo! You know? trying to clear the time to do it. But what I saw in the last episode was like, oh, okay, maybe I do have to clear time for all It's interesting. Seven it's hours. It's definitely interesting. It. Um, yeah. But but this keeps happening, though. Picard got all of this positive press. Everybody loved it. And the effects house goes down. It, this kind of reminds me of what happened with Rhythm and Hughes right after The Life of Pi. I mean, you know, you, you make this, you know, Academy Award-winning film – and you're out of business. That just, it makes no sense to me. You know. Yeah, it's really tragic. Yeah. I mean, well, also, uh, speaking of tragic, um, I'm a huge supporter of the Cartoon Art Museum up in San Francisco. In fact, uh, this year, they're, they're celebrating their 35th anniversary. And as part of the anniversary, they were doing a, a special exhibition, A Boy and His Tiger. It was a tribute to Bill Waterston. And it was this amazing set of paintings and drawings that people 
like Lynn Johnson from the For Better For Worse strip, likewise uh, Patrick McDonald from Mutz, uh, you know, Steve Purcell from the, the Sam and Max strip and such, put together these wonderful tribute paintings to Bill Waterston's Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. But here's the thing, the exhibition of the art uh, was supposed to run from March 7th to March 26th, and then uh, the Department of Health for the city of San Francisco issued a shelter-in-place starting on March 17th that was supposed to continue through April 7th, but uh, then on March 31st, that shelter-in-place got extended through May 30th. So effectively, if you didn't get in there for the first 10 days of the exhibition, you're not getting to see these these drawings, except... As a fundraiser, the Cartoon Art Museum created a catalog that has all of the drawings, uh, all of the paintings from this exhibition. The reason I mentioned this, folks, is that what's going to happen is all of these pieces of art that, that were put together for the exhibit are going to be sold at auction and go into private collectors' hands. And if, if you're like me and you still miss Calvin and Hobbes, some of these drawings are absolutely amazing, but the only way you're going to get to see them is if it purchased a copy of the catalog. So if you could do me a favor, because again, Cartoon Art Museum does great, great work. And more to the point, it has one of the most amazing bookstores on the planet. And we, we want to keep bookstores open. So if you want something to peruse while you're stuck at home till... Uh, how long are you supposed to be sheltering in place at this point, Drew? Do we have an exit well, date? Well, using the theme parks as guidance, <laughs> I think we're going to be in for another month. So we will, uh, we will see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, folks, if you're looking for something to entertain yourself while you're, you're trapped at home and you, you've already read your copy of The Art of Onward, my buddy Drew wrote an absolutely amazing retrospective look back at the Goofy movie for Vanity Fair that just published, what was it, a day or so ago? Or Yeah, I think it published on Wednesday, yeah. Absolutely amazing piece, folks. You have to go read it. Drew did a beautiful job of not only taking you behind the scenes of the history of the production of it, but also explaining how it, it kind of became this cultural phenomenon. But here's the thing. Does, does Alice love a Goofy movie? Well, I will have to ask. Because um, that's sort of the age group, I feel like. that's She's in that sweet spot. I will have to ask. I'm chatting with her tonight. Well, here's the thing, though. The story that Drew originally wrote was, what, 5,000 words? Um, yeah, about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. At Vanity Fair, they value your time. So they cut this down to 1,500 words. Um, yes. And there were a lot of great stories that fell out by the wayside. And Andrew was nice enough to let me read his original draft. And and I hate to see these stories disappear. So we're going to talk about a few of those. So let's start with Jim Magon. Is is that how I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he was basically the, the guy first through the door on this thing when... Well, initially, it was, it was supposed to be, what, a two-part episode for Goof Troop, right? Yeah, he he worked on it alone, he says, for a year mm -hmm. before anybody else was even involved. And he said that it started out as a two-part Goof Troop movie that they could maybe sell on video as a as a movie, which is what happened with Return of the J Jafar and a lot that's of those right. other ones. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and, he's, and he said, you know, that's funny you bring it up because I was looking through a bunch of old drafts and I saw that, you know, just how much of a goofy movie it was mm. with... Max was graduating from primary school to junior high, mm -hmm. so he was not a high schooler, and so a lot more of the DNA of Goof Troop was still in that those original drafts, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
And moving ahead now to it becomes, it's still in that kind of gray area at this point. It's maybe a theatrical release, maybe home premiere, that sort of thing. But Kevin Lima gets signed up to direct the Goofy movie. And, and this wonderful factoid that he, he was the perfect guy for the job. Because what? His first job at Disney was animating on a blink and you'll miss it special for NBC called Sports Goofy in Soccer Mania. Yeah, it was like a special that had new animation that that wrapped around a bunch of old shorts, mm-hmm. basically, is what it was. Um, but he was still in CalArts, mm-hmm. and that was his first one of his first jobs animating at all, and it's definitely his first job at Disney. Wow. Oh. So it's kinda, it kind of made sense, you know? Well, folks, by the way, if you're a Roger Rabbit fan, it's worth seeking out this. I, I know it's in a couple of different pieces over at YouTube, but if you... Uh, and again, got to remember, this aired on uh, NBC in May of 1987, and Roger Rabbit isn't released to theaters till May, June of 88. Um, but if you watch the crowd scenes, you can actually see the original version of Roger Rabbit, not the one that, that showed up in the Robert Zemeckis film, but the one that Disney was going to try to make on its own. And this is the version of the character that would have been voiced by Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. Um, I'm a big fan of that design, too. It's it's a more simplistic. I don't know if you've ever had Richard Williams. He did a breakdown once of what body parts he stole from which characters to make Roger seem like he would have been, you know, a contemporary of Droopy or, or Bugs Bunny back in the 40s. But, I mean... Oh, no, I've never seen that. Yeah, That's really I, interesting. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, get back to the Goofy movie here. So can, can you talk about the Steve Martin thing? Yes. Okay. Is that not in the article? I remember that was like a, a source of contention. Well, no. Um, I don't know. No, no it, 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 it definitely made it, but it's still, it's definitely worth talking about. Because again, face it, just this past weekend, we had the DuckTales episode where we had Don Cheadle as Donald. And I got on board with that fairly quickly. So the whole notion of that we could have had a, a Goofy movie with Steve Martin as Goofy. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that that didn't make the article, I think, is that they made Bill do it in his normal voice for a while. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, it it allowed them to kind of find the the depth and emotionality of this version of Goofy, which was not there before. Mm -hmm. If Bill had just been doing the gersh from the beginning, it might not have gotten there. But this kind of roundabout way, a lot like the movie, Mm -hmm. it's a detour, but it got them to where they needed to go. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it's really interesting. Well, no, just just today before we were recording, I was going to sort of cherry picking some stuff for the Goofy movie to look at. There's that scene where Goofy and Max are on the car in the river. It's they're having a father son confrontation. It's before the song "Nobody Else But You," right? And Bill is just nailing it. I mean, again, he's doing the goofy voice, but you're right. There's an emotionality that's never been there before, but it's it's real. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we're talking about this movie 25 years later. It's that performance that, that kind of draws us in. And did, speaking of DuckTales, I thought his performance on this episode this past weekend was amazing. Very much in the same tenor as 
goofy movie. Oh. I mean, that emotional speech he gives to Donald. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing work. Yeah. And and also, what I, I particularly love about that episode is how off kilter it keeps you as an audience member for almost 10 or 15 minutes of its 22-minute runtime. And also, just a wonderful parody of every 80s sitcom, you know, or, or at least yes. those that branded during TJIF. Anyway, I wanted to double back to see Martin for just a sec, because it, it does actually make sense that Disney would have thought, okay, or especially Katzenberg would have thought, you know, let's let's get a celebrity in here to voice Goofy, because of course this is movies in development right after Aladdin hits in theaters, and of course, you know, so much of the box office success of the film was attributed to Robin Williams. But uh, weird little side note here. I was once told by Musker and Clements, basically, that they had a short list if Robin said no. And the two people who were on the list, if they couldn't get Robin Williams for the voice of the genie, one was Martin Short, and the other one was Steve Martin. Wow. Yeah. And And they're both in a little movie called Prince of Egypt together. (laughs) They are. They are. You know, in fact, that's the thing that I do not understand those parts in the Prince of Egypt are nothing. I mean, they're literally like, pre, yeah. you know, pre-throwaway characters. Yeah. Um, whereas the only other time I've heard his name mentioned as a for an animated character uh, was for Ice Age. And they had De Niro, they had Steve Martin, and then literally to the default, if they couldn't get those two was Ray Romano. And, you know, Ray Romano, uh, you know, I think nailed it. Uh, oh, he's great in this movie. No, 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 absolutely. But at the same time, also, you can understand why Katzenberg was also talking up Martin because, you know, face it, he'd done Father of the Bride in 1991, and so they were already developing Father of the Bride 2, uh, which would come out in 1995. So it's like, look, he's on the lot. You know, he's available. He's gettable. Uh, let's take advantage of this. And, you know, the fact that Kevin, did you ever talk about that at all, about how he stuck to his guns and kept it as Bill or? Yeah, I mean, they basically, they they knew it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. And then they got Bill <laughs> to do his regular Goofy voice. But I mean, that was after Bill had recorded, I think, for two or three days mm-hmm. as Goofy uh, in the Steve Martin mold. Mm-hmm. And okay. it, it would have just been. Very jarring. I get but, that. You know. I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I had never heard the story that you tell as part of the article about how, for Katzenberg, the Goofy movie is actually a personal story. Yeah. I had never heard that either. I mean, I didn't realize how how much this movie ran on the engine of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, he, he was not getting along with his daughter and they went on a road trip and then he says, I don't know how it happened, but we, we were speaking mm-hmm. at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I would love to tell a story like that, but you know, October 94, mm-hmm. which is right before it was supposed to come out. Yep. Uh, Katzenberg's gone. Mm. Nobody at the studio really cares about it. And it's just kind of, it comes out in April and nobody really cares. And it's sort of quickly forgotten, um, at least initially. So, Can you talk for a sec about why it didn't make its October 94 date or more to the point how Disney filled the hole in the schedule? Yeah, I mean, this movie, it cannot be overstated how kind of pieced together this movie is from different I think the there were studios in Paris, London, Australia, yep. and Canada. And some of those studios 
were not even Disney Studios. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this was everywhere. And apparently, um, I did. Did you know that this is how they made these movies back then, Jim? That they literally set up a camera and filmed a giant monitor? I, I had never heard this story before. I have never heard it either, but apparently they ran the movie on this giant monitor mm-hmm. and filmed it with a 35 millimeter camera. And one of the pixels in the monitor was burnt out. So there was a giant black dot oh. for the entire movie. Oh. And they had to go back and redo, I think, three fourths of the movie. Um, so. You know, that is – that's a crazy story mm-hmm. and that's why it didn't get released. And so instead – and I found – I mean, I don't I, I don't know if I had a link in that article I sent you, but I found a trailer for the re-release of The Lion King well, where it was like experience the best film of the year one last time. Well, yes. Like, the, the on, okay, guys. The encore presentation. You know, that, yes. That, in a year when Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption come out oh. – Go see the best film of the year, The Lion King, one more time. <laughs> well, and speaking of piecemeal, I mean, I love that you got the story. Like, for example, the entire concert scene, the, the eye-to-eye Goofy and Max backstage and the wonderful pseudo-music video stuff. From it. But that was all, all done by an outfit in Australia. And again, the weird thing of it is when you hear the story, but you look at how how well this film holds up, how well it holds together with, with so many moving parts. And <laughs> I, I love your Don Hahn story about how it's, it's not even a B movie. It's barely a C, uh, yeah. but it still manages to, you know, just, it, it means so much to so many people. And, but, yeah. but the kicker, the story that oh, I cannot believe they cut this out of the Vanity Fair piece, but can, can you talk about the Lester Possum Park cosplay? Which yes, I how did, did I her miss this? in this costume? I, no, yeah, it, I mean it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So so at D twenty three twenty seventeen, there's a, literally a giant Lester uh, possum. Mm-hmm. You know the mascot from the the kind of like Tiger King meets <laughs> Country Bear Jamboree Possum Park. Uh, from the movie. Mm-hmm. And I just hear this Drew coming out of this possum. <laughs> and it's Sarah Sterling, who is a wonderful sort of Disney personality. And she's on Instagram and YouTube and, and stuff like that. And she had created this thing. And she had worked with a fabricator in, where was it? Like Peru oh, or yeah. Brazil or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, it was the most amazing costume I've ever seen. And, and part of the reason I included it in the article mm-hmm. is that it was inspired by that 2015 D23 Expo uh, reunion panel, which watching the video again and seeing that they had them in one of those little rooms Mm -hmm. upstairs is like mind blowing to me. That would be like Hall D or whatever they call the big Mm -hmm. room now, Mm -hmm. because I feel like so many people would go to it and they have it in this tiny room. It's so funny, but it's it was an amazing um, moment. You know, Tevin Campbell came out and performed Mm and and. you know, it's it's a really it's an interesting movie, and and it's and it very much speaks to like it's very Jeffrey mm-hmm. to me. Like it's contemporary, it it's hip, and mm-hmm. it and it. You know, the other thing that I just published, which I know you haven't looked at yet, but I I ranked every single DreamWorks animation movie today oh. for Collider, which is like thousands of words, and I and I included the Shrek 4D movie mm-hmm. and uh, Joseph. Uh, whatever King of Dreams or whatever the the prequel was, so it's literally every single thing from DreamWorks and and watching Goofy movie and then seeing his output in DreamWorks, very much I think same piece, you know. Wow, right. yeah, 
do you get combat pay to watch Shark Tales again? I, oh, that was a rough one, Jim. That was a rough. I I, I rewatched every single movie. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. On the other hand, you did get to see Over the Hedge again, which I was very I was surprised there were there were some that I was surprised at how good they were. I yeah. mean, and I had always liked Sinbad. Mm-hmm. I think Sinbad's aged better than Road Road to El Dorado, which mm-hmm. is sort of has some kind of cringy kind of stuff in it. It does. Um, it does. Yeah. You know, but but at the same time, I love that scene on the boat between the chief and I think it's Diego who's explaining that he's yeah. he's going to stay and yeah, okay, sure, you can change your mind. Nobody's perfect. And you get the entire, you know, the chief knows, but he's okay with it. I mean, it's just sort of yeah. it, it, brilliant animation. But yeah, there's a lot about uh, it's that. Beautiful anima- it's interesting, too, that that and Empire of the Sun both got kind of downgraded to kind of like comedies in yeah. a way. Because, you know, the Ro- Road del Dorado was going to be much straighter at one point. Oh, good. Um, very much so. You know. You know but, but, uh, but again, another topic. We should talk about that in another, another show. But but by the way, folks, well, we're recording it now. You'll miss it. But they, what is it? D23 is doing a uh, goofy movie viewing party today, tonight. Hopefully some of you are watching it. Hopefully some of you are watching it. But but if, if you miss that, uh, of course, there is always Light Diffuse, which has the most amazing. In fact, I was so thrilled for you to see the editor of The Last Jedi, you know, oh, get, get that story. Get I'm out. glad someone was happy about that, Jim, because I was mortified. Um, just I hate I hate the conversation around La- the like Last Jedi mm. of it. But yeah, I mean, that got picked up by everybody yeah but um yeah no but we have a great interview today with david james who was the on-set photographer for four of the movies mm-hmm. and who first worked with tom cruise back at on legend <laughs> if you can believe that <laughs> oh so he has amazing stories and you know he got the famous photo of tom at the top of the burge which was so cool mm-hmm. uh you know that shot of him like was shoeless on top of the the building oh my god um, and he's got amazing stories and it's a it's a piece of the movie making process that not too many people know about mm-hmm. so i was really happy to kind of shed some light on what an onset photographer does mm-hmm. and uh yeah his last movie was fallout he's retired now but he's you know got some amazing Amazing stories, so check that out. No, absolutely. Seriously, folks, if you're not listening to Light the Fuse, and again, please understand that what Drew does that's great about this show is the Venn diagram, that yes, you get the Mission Impossible stories, but you also get all of the other movies that these guys have worked on, and it just you're just so good at drawing those stories out. I got some good stuff from Rystrom on Newt coming up, Jim, so oh, get ready oh, for that. Oh, oh, okay, all right, okay. okay. So, right. Um, well, look. Uh, uh, what do we got? Uh, Disney Dish with Lentesta. We got Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. In fact, we'll be dropping a new episode of that later tonight. Uh, we got Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z, uh, who <laughs> had an interesting conversation with him today. The oh, Hallmark Dream Book came out today. And the reason I reached out to Dan is that they have done two, count them two, uh, Mandalorian ornaments for this season. Oh, I didn't see those, but I, are you going to get the Onward uh the onward ornament for me, Jim. Well, I, I think I think you need it on the tree. I, for you, I'll do that. But in okay. fact, that's the interesting thing. They have the keepsake wish list, where where if you do that in advance, your local store will hang on to these things. I was actually thinking, though, the one that I should probably get is the Jungle Cruise one with Mickey, because of course that was created to help cash in on the Dwayne Johnson movie that now isn't yep. coming out to two thousand twenty-one. 
That Fantasia one is... Did you watch the video of that no, thing going? No, I did not. Oh, my God. It's amazing. And also the Muppet Show one is really great. Ooh, I have not seen this. Yeah. Well, now i got to okay, take a look. Okay, look that one up. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. but uh, to be honest, <laughs> we should probably be talking about that on the I Want That podcast I do with, with Michelle Valladolid. And again, again, I'm due to do a new Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. So I should probably shut up now and go work on those shows. But uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do a Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend uh, not only fine tuning, but also light the fuse, that would be incredibly helpful. And if you really like what you've heard here today, get over to Bandcamp and subscribe. That'd be great, too. And again, you have a strong social media presence for Light the Views, right? I mean, I don't I know, know strong is the word, but yeah, we are, we're on uh, Instagram. We've been doing some funny things, too, mm-hmm. uh, kind of cashing in on the memes and stuff. Okay. But we're a Light the Fuse pod on, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, follow us. It's funny. Cool. All right. And for Jim Hill Media, we're on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And then on Facebook, we're Jim Hill Media News for some reason. But anyway, uh, thank you folks for listening and get trapped at home. Go put on the Goofy movie. Uh, And (laughs) Drew and I will talk again soon. Okay.